Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel reading from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. And here, an image of God's reckless patience. Reckless. You think reckless and you think that, you know, it's something that is careless, something that is, um, you know, driving too fast for the conditions, something that is not thought through. But there's another word. That same word can also mean courageous, brave, and going ahead despite the consequences. Courageous, brave, and going ahead despite the consequences, the reckless love, the reckless patience of the farmer. What more could he have done? That is the question that Isaiah asked God's people, and 700 years later, 740 to 780 years later, if you want to be precise, 700 years later, Jesus asks the Pharisees the same question, what more could God have done? He settled them in their land. He gave them their own um, right and form of worship. He gave them his law as revealed clearly in, in the commandments at Mount Sinai. What more could God have done? He gave them kings when they asked him for a king, and even though they deserved one who was just like King Saul, a selfish brute who led the people away, they got one who was better. A king after God's own heart, King David, and then his son Solomon. And on top of it, on top of it, Solomon having the wisdom to know how to apply God's will, God's law and God's will properly. And Solomon, whom God used to build a temple, to say that this is the place where his name would be. What more could God have done? That same question ought to be asked by the church at every age. What more could God have done? In the time after Christ, when the church was being persecuted and the apostles scattered, what more could God have done? Wherever they went, they took the gospel with them because they thought it, you know, if you look in the first part of the book of Acts, they thought it more pressing to not deny their Jesus. And they said, you know what, we're going to flee for our lives, but I would rather flee for my life than deny my Lord Jesus. The persecution that broke out, if you read through the early part of the book of Acts, the persecution broke out against the entire church, and everybody was scattered except for the apostles who stayed behind in Jerusalem. In that decision point, I could stay. I could just say, you know, Jesus, I don't know him. Yeah, I, I was a Christian, and it had some value for my life, but um, I'm not just not feeling it, just not seeing it, and I don't have the time for that Jesus guy anymore. That would be so much easier. But instead, those Christians, they considered it pure joy to flee with their families, to find new lodging for the night, to bring the gospel with them wherever they went, and to not deny Jesus. What more could God have done? Maybe he could have restrained the Roman authorities and the Roman power. But if you look in hindsight, that at every point when Jesus calls his church to follow him, the church responds with a confession of faith and says, even if it is through persecution, Lord, sign me up. Even if it means being ostracized from my family and friends, I'll take it. 
Because what more could God have done for his church? You look around. What more could God have done? When it's described in the book of Isaiah and the book of Matthew that this landowner planted a vineyard, that he bought some unimproved land on a hill and he went through and his sons went through picking rocks out of the field. If you've ever picked rocks in you know, the glaciated area of the upper Midwest, you know that they just keep coming every single year. After the frost and the rain, the rocks just bubble on up. And they picked out the rocks and they dug the wine press, which wasn't just like digging a hole, but like chiseling down into the rock, the cliff that was there, so that they would have a stable area for spreading the grapes. What more could he have done? And that's the question that the church at every age must ask. And it's no different for us. I mean, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be um, deluding ourselves into thinking that the world is now somehow different than it was, that church life is somehow more difficult than it was, that persecution is somehow more intense than it was. Although God does say it will become worse before the end of time. But what more could God have done? Because when we look at, when we look at how do we practice our Christian faith, and the blessings that God gives in this country, and how often we mingle those two together as though they were both accomplishing the same purpose. What more could God have done? He has provided in the founding document of our country, he has provided the freedom to, to gather. And the freedom to, to gather in a way that cannot be infringed upon by the governing authorities and that they can't favor one religion over another. What more could God have done? He baptized you into his body. He's given you a family, a church family, that he wants you to worship with today and forever. And that the image that we have of heaven is that great multitude that no one could count beyond number from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And the image that we have of heaven is one of an ongoing worship service. What more could God have done? The question that Jesus presses us to ask, because he had sent, he had sent in his reputations, he had sent his servants. And it just piles up, verse 35, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Ooh. What more could God have done? And that question that, that Jesus presses us to answer, to see his reckless patience, not just you know, reckless as though it is um, foolhardy, but reckless because he has a greater purpose in mind, that he has the courage and the bravery that he knows what's coming, and he sends his son. I will send my son. After he had sent more servants and they treated them the same way, they will respect my son. What more could God have done? What more could God, wait, what more could God have done when he wants to pour out gifts on gifts? But he's only promised to work through word and sacrament. 
What more could God have done for a family that has a new baby? And God says that he has adopted this child into his family, that he has incorporated him or that baby into the child and that the child into the church. What more could God have done to wash away the sins of that person and to provide the certainty of eternal life? What more could God have done? And how do the tenants of today respond? That's kind of the question behind the question. How do the tenants of today respond? Well, you know, I'm busy. How do the tenants of today respond? Don't you know that, um, that our thinking and our attitudes have surpassed and grown beyond all that backwards religion stuff? How do the tenants of today respond? Well, you know, twice a, twice a month, that's doing pretty good. If I'm there at worship twice a month, because, you know, I've got to go plow a field with my ox. Just bought a piece of land, I can go look at it. How do the tenants of God's church respond? Getting distracted by all sorts of red herrings, which is, which is an idea that um, it's, a, it's a logical fallacy. A red herring is something that throws somebody off the scent. Now we get so caught up in the politics, in the identity, in the hot button issues that loom so large in our vision and that are so different from the world that you grew up in. And you, you ask them the questions, you're like, how could people today be thinking these things? It isn't, it's contrary to nature, it's contrary to biology. It's, it's like they're just making this stuff up. How do the tenants respond? When Christians stop treasuring the word of God, the vineyard goes silent. When Christians see their Christianity as just a label they wear, much like the box they check at the voting booth, a label they wear that is inherently their possession simply because they know some of the Christian truth, the vineyard goes sour. When Christians are swept along by their friends, neighbors, classmates, and they're swept along with all these silly arguments that God's word certainly has an answer for and that God's word has addressed at every point in human history, we think, think so little of it to not even question the word of God. What does God say about Jones Lake? What does God say about um, the, the confusion that a person may experience in their teens and 20s? Well, that's something that God's church has been dealing with for over 2,000 years. What does God say about the godly use of the body? Oh, that's also something that God's church has been dealing with for 4,000 years. And it's not an impingement on your personal freedom to say this is what God says, but it's rather the place where God has promised to bless his people. To bless his people by saying, you know what? God basically says, here's the roadmap. If you want to know how to live a godly life, and if you want to know where and how God will bless you, well then go back to the commandments and you'll see, we should fear and love God, that we do not do this and we do do that. And that he doesn't say so as though he is simply trying to extract good fruit out of dry ground. 
what more could God have done and how do the tenants react? The tenants who listen to the voice of their favorite commentator more than the voice of their savior. The tenants who think that somehow we've finally gotten an answer that God can't answer. We finally have a question that God cannot respond to. Fill in the blank. Well, it's science. It's the way people think today. It's settled. And how do the tenants respond? Because God isn't seeking to extract, extract good fruit where he hasn't blessed it. In fact, you look at this, he works the same way all throughout history. That he wants his Christians connected to that word of God. He wants his Christians to gather around that word of God. That he is the one who waters. He is the one who plants. He is the one who knows exactly how they're going to treat his son and sends him anyway. What more could God have done? I'll send my son. Perhaps they will respect him. And knowing full well that that son will be marched to the, the hill of Calvary. What more could God have done? Not just reckless as though foolhardy, but reckless as in brave and courageous. To see reality as it is, that the problem isn't the political hot-button issue, the problem isn't the Ohio Constitution, the problem isn't what is being taught in our schools, the problem is Christians talking to Christians. The problem is Christians treasuring the Word of God. Is it possible? Is it possible that we're feeling a little parched? What more could God have done? He gave his son to set you free. And he does so for the purpose of, yes, displaying exactly what is true and what is untrue in this world. But even greater, he does this because he wants you to join him for the celebration and the banquet. You see, that's the whole purpose of the vineyard is to, to get grapes out of it and then to trample it down into wine and then use the wine in a celebration. Use the wine in a wedding banquet. And their wedding banquet wasn't just an evening over at, the, over at a reception hall. Their wedding banquet was a week long. Your wedding banquet is going to be all eternity. What more could God have done? That he wants to cultivate a vineyard so that he can have a harvest, so that he can join together with his people, to join together with his people for all eternity, and say the celebration has already come. Come to the feast. And what more could God have done? He says, dear Christian, you are now a tenant within God's vineyard. You are now a tenant within God's vineyard. And you don't need to be looking left, right, and center. Oh, go. oh no, what more should I do? What more can I do? How should I serve my God? How should I um, act and live? You just look at the people next to you. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's somebody that you recognize by face because they always sit in the same spot, but you don't know them. Um, whatever it is. How do the tenants react? Well, how does God want his church to react? to the fact that we are tenant farmers in his vineyard, that we look out for each other, that we bring one another along. Say, I haven't seen you in church for a while. Is everything okay? 
to say you've got a lot on your mind, and, and you shouldn't presume to be so arrogant as to think that this has never been discussed. Just bring it up. That if you have a question, then let Pastor know. We don't have to have a whole Q&A Sunday about it, but he'll sit down and talk with you about it. That if you're being deluded and distracted by, by the people that you live with, or the classmates, or the friends, or the peers, or fill in the blank, just say it. You know, they're not good influences. Or say it even more strongly. They're going to lead you away from Jesus. And that's the bottom line. Because this Jesus, this Jesus is the son who has come for his vineyard. He came knowing exactly what lay before him. He didn't give up any of his power. He wasn't a helpless victim of their assault, but he was thrown out of the vineyard. He was crucified outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. He was crucified there, even though he always has and always will have all authority, power, and, and glory belong to him. And yet he concealed that. He kept that hidden for a while because of his reckless love, his reckless patience for you and for me. Not reckless as foolhardy, although by our estimation we might think it so, but reckless as brave and courageous, knowing exactly what the cost would be and saying that he needed to baptize a few more into his vineyard. He needed to bring about a harvest so that the banquet hall would be filled, not to get too much into next week's sermon. What more could God have done? Well, obviously the answer is absolutely nothing. He says, come to the feast. Come to the feast, that the feast is here every Sunday, whether you like the sermon or not. <laughs> that the feast is here in the Word of God. And that Jesus gathers together with his people, his church, and he says, dear Christian, yes, take a break, take a rest, but then see what your Lord has done. And if you need a reminder, taste and see that this Jesus Christ became man for you and for me, that he has joined the humanity to himself, that everything you experience as a person, he experienced to a much greater degree, every single temptation, every single sorrow, every single grief, he experienced it, but you know, you and I kind of learn by experience not to do those things. Jesus never gave into temptation, and so the temptation never stopped. Why? So that the landowner could do everything. So that the landowner could do everything for his people to, to work in that vineyard as the perfect son so that the landowner could do everything for his people to wash them clean in his own blood, so that the landowner could do everything for you to bring you here and remind you that this is why your Lord Jesus has come, not just for the people you see here, but for that uncountable number who are with him now. That this is why Jesus has come, because he is preparing an eternal wedding banquet. And he says, dear Christian, this is the time of your life. You know, this 60, 70, 80 years, if you have the strength, goes by really quickly. I say that, creeping up on 40. Yikes. It goes by really quickly, and you begin to understand what is the value, what has lasting value. And you look at the people next to you, and it's not just the people that you love, but the Jesus that you love together. And so what does it take to work alongside one another faithfully in the Lord's vineyard? 
and that there would be a harvest of, of good fruit. What does it take to work, work alongside um, the people in your household or the people in your congregation that the Lord would bring a good harvest in your life and in the life to come? Well, if you hadn't kind of caught on by this point, Pastor Hagen likes to use a lot of paper to say a lot of things. That's why our bulletin is like eight pages long. And that's why on the way out of church today, you'll get one of these, as you have every Sunday for the last four months, telling you, you know, what's coming up next week, October 15th, 2023. Have a piece of artwork that says, oh, there have been Christians for over a thousand years devoting their time, talent, energy to try and depict what God was saying here. And the readings for the coming Sunday, use it as much or as little as you want, a little bit of an explanation. You can look it up on your own so that even if you're not here next week because you have to work here on a rotating schedule or you don't have a ride, even if you're not here next week, you know exactly what our Lord wants to say. And the backside. This is where the work comes in. That is very easy to have it happen once. It's very easy to say, you know, I should do that one thing and then I can check it off for the month. But something little, something like eight minutes long and often on a regular basis, little and often over the long haul, that is um, something that doesn't come naturally to us. Probably not even eight minutes, probably only four minutes. Little and often over the long haul to sit down with those you love, care about, or by yourself with just you and Jesus in that Bible. To sit down and say, I'm going to work through this. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Apostles' Creed, a reading the Lord's Prayer, morning or evening prayer, blessing. You can add a hymn if you want. That's what work in God's vineyard looks like. It doesn't look like the labor of trying to finally become perfect and work yourself to being holy. It looks like sitting down and let the, the son of the vineyard owner speak to you. That he sent his son to them. That he still sends his son to his tenant farmers today. And all he is saying is sit and listen to what this son has to say. Perhaps they will respect him, i.e., that is to say, perhaps they will listen to him, at least now, at least in this place, at least at this time, perhaps they will. And thank God that he chose to go outside the vineyard and to be crucified. But the question, what more could God have done? And how do God's tenant farmers work today? Maybe that's an easy one. Pretty straightforward. Sitting and listening to what the son has to say and learning from the mistakes of the Jewish people. That's the time of Jesus. Or the other one, this is the other piece of paper you'll get today. You probably saw a similar copy in your mailbox at home. This is coming up on October 21st. Because we're going to talk about um, dying. We're going to talk about a cheery topic like death and funerals and, um, and planning for your loved ones and that sort of a thing. Um, absolutely, you know, everybody's favorite topic. I want to talk about death, right? I want to talk about funerals because that's the most cheerful topic that we could have as a church. Well, that is where you will see the Christian difference. And whether this is for you to get another look and say, maybe I should register there at the, uh, the link or the QR code, or maybe I have a friend 
a neighbor, a relative, who should look at this and who should come along with me. Because their concept of Christianity is that it's all political or it's all moral and ethical, just a set of rules to obey. But the reality of our Christianity is that, the, that God, the landowner, has sent his son to his people to give them comfort and assurance, to give them hope in the future, to give them himself. And if you, you know, run into a roadblock talking with your friends or family, Maybe that's an easier way. All that to say. Jesus tells this parable, and you know, pastorally it's kind of terrifying, especially what he says at the end, that he does want to see fruit from his vineyard, that he does hold people accountable. But don't get so caught up and beaten down by that demand. Instead, sit back and look once again that the master has sent his son wherever two or three or uh, about 63 are gathered together in his name that the master has sent his son to wash you clean and baptize you into his resurrection that the master has sent his son he says take and eat take and drink and he, as you go out look at the people that you know and you live with and work in the vineyard amen